Hey, everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. Borrowway Army and fellow music fans, I'm Kayla. And I'm Bethany, and we're the hosts of Standing BTS from the Consequence Podcast Network. We're a bi-weekly show that covers the impact and legacy of K-pop group BTS. We mix the perfect blend of research and fangirl as we take a deep dive into lyrics during album reviews, theorize over music videos, and keep up with their current events. No BTS topic is off limits. We welcome everyone into the conversation, whether you're a casual fan, committed ARMY, or someone who's just curious about one of the biggest music groups in the world. Come chat with us every other Thursday with a new episode wherever podcasts are found. Hello and welcome to the Spark Parade, where I geek out with artists and entertainers about the single cultural work that's most inspired them. Thanks for joining me. Hope you've had a good week. Uh, I'm Adam Unz at Spark Parade on all social media. We're finally nearing the end of this shitty year, and I've decided that next year is going to be the exact opposite, one of the best years of your life, and my life too, so uh, you can relax now. It's all going to get better from here. Uh, I heard a psychic on a podcast at the beginning of this year who said that he had predicted that this year was going to be terrible, but that next year would be amazing, so uh, I'm going to hold him to that, if I can ever remember where I heard him say that or who he is. Um, anyway... Coming up on this week's episode, you'll get to hear my lovely little chat with Jake Lupin from the band Hippocampus and his new solo project, Lupin. Uh, he's going to be talking about his love for the iconic Beatles classic, The White Album. Uh, yeah, Jake is a really great guy, and we had a really fun discussion about his relationship with the album. We talk a bit about infighting in bands and how that can sometimes actually aid the creative process. And lots of other great stuff, which I won't spoil for you because you're going to hear the interview in about one minute. So, uh, quick Jake facts. Jake Lupin rose to prominence as a vocalist and guitarist in St. Paul's beloved indie outfit, Hippocampus. St. Paul is also my hometown, so go St. Paul. His solo debut album under the name Lupin is a fractured self-portrait pieced together through left-of-center funk-leaning maximalism. Inspired as much by Charlie XCX's Pop 2 as it is Tears for Fears, 80s New Wave, and Prince, the genre-bending record holds true to a desire to make 80s music filtered through modern technology. Quick white album facts. The Beatles' self-titled ninth album, more commonly known as The White Album, was released in 1968 and is the only double album in the Beatles' catalog. It's recognized for its fragmentary style and diverse range of genres, including folk, British blues, ska, music hall, and the avant-garde. It has since been viewed by some critics as a postmodern work, as well as among the greatest albums of all time. The recording of the White Album also signaled the beginning of major rifts in the Beatles, which would eventually lead them to disband. So there you have it, all the background information you could ever need or want. So now let's get on to the good stuff. Here comes my chat with Jake Lupin about the White Album. 
So the White Album, uh, do you remember, I mean, nor the normal question is like, do you remember where you heard this album the first time? But this is something that's like so infused in, you know, culture, in the world, everywhere that uh, that's probably a difficult question. But do you remember becoming aware of it? I do, yeah. I got into the Beatles like pretty late. Um, I'd grown up on classic rock, but I, I grew up on kind of the, the bad kind of classic rock. I mean, I love it, but I grew up on like hair metal. So it was like classic rock to me was like Guns N' Roses and like Aerosmith and like hilarious, like bombastic, like hair metal. Um, right. And it wasn't until I was like 16 that I really got into the Beatles and like me and my stoner friends from high school, like would kind of like exchange different Beatles album recommendations. And I remember kind of the first one that I heard was the White Album. And I, I remember like crawling into bed. I think I had probably smoked some weed and just like listening to that album and just being like blown away. It was incredible. Yeah. I mean, like, obviously, I'm sure you were aware of the Beatles before that because they're kind of everywhere. But yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Like, I, I, I think they are such a huge band and they had, you know, especially at the time when they were recording music, absolutely dominated everything. And it's interesting to see people have different relationships to them and to kind of like get into their music at different paces and at different times of life and, and all that. Yeah, I think like growing up too, like the Beatles like weren't weren't on iTunes at that point in time. Like when I was sixteen, like you couldn't like buy the Beatles on iTunes. You know, it wasn't until like later that that became like available. Like you'd have to like buy CDs, and I wasn't like going out buying CDs, so I couldn't listen to like full albums at that point. Like really, until I'm trying to think of when it when it did get on iTunes because there was like a period where you just couldn't find Beatles stuff on on iTunes or like streaming services or whatever. Yeah, like Paul McCartney, I think was the big holdout and really wanted to. I don't know what the issue was. I'm I'm assuming like to get the po best possible deal, but um, the yeah, the whole Beatles catalog was not available on streaming for so long, and it. I don't think it was even that long ago when they finally gave in and, and put it out there. But um, yeah, yeah, it's pretty crazy. So yeah, this album in particular, it's like definitely, I think a good uh, stoner album as well. It's 5,000 hours long. There's like a million <laughs> songs on it. Um, yeah. And just kind of getting lost in all of that music and it just meanders. It's like all of these different kinds of styles and genres and just throwing everything into it. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> I can, I, I can imagine. Um, and in fact, I don't have to imagine. I know uh, I had the same experience myself. So um, yeah, totally. It's just so like raw, like overall, you know, like it's just, it's just great songs. Like I, I think, you know, some of the previous records, like production was like really in the forefront of, of like, what made those what made those albums great i mean in addition to obviously like they're amazing songwriters but with this record like the production like overall is like a lot more bare bones and it just like the songs come through so much more and there's so many of them <laughs> there's yeah. so many songs on this album yeah and even if you know I don't, I don't know if there's anything that's absolutely filler but there are songs that are like more experimental noise that are kind of feel like feel like interludes or something and there are obviously songs that were huge hits and songs that are less played but i just read an article uh where somebody was talking about it and saying there's the kind of like 
uh, cherry picker listen where you're like coming through the hits and just listening to the most recognizable songs. And then there's a kind of completist listen where you're, you know, including all of the other stuff, all the kind of weird shit that gets thrown in there. So yeah, do you you tend to really stick with it and listen to the whole thing through when you're listening to it? Um, I think I might do like the weirder run throughs, like more, (laughs) more than not, like Rocky Raccoon is like one of my favorite Beatles songs, you know, and that's like a weirder one. Martha, my dear, I guess was like kind of like it's poppy, but it's definitely not one that like sticks out when you think about the record. I'm trying to think Savoy Truffle is like one of my favorite ones. Mm. Um, Happiness is a warm gun is my favorite song on the whole album. Oh yeah. It's like probably my favorite Beatles song, one of my favorite ones, but yeah. So I kind of, I'll, I'll like roll through on the, on the weirder, the weirder, darker ones usually. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, as a uh, piece of culture, as a kind of cultural institution now, um, it's this representation of, you know, the, the Beatles at like the, the peak of their creative powers, but also, you know, this probably wasn't apparent to people when the album came out, but it was the beginning of the end. And it was like, you know, <laughs> the place where all the cracks started to show in the studio and they were all kind of fighting with each other. And um, so, yeah, I think it's kind of interesting to, to look at it from not just a, a, you know, purely musical standpoint, but to have the cultural and historical context thrown into. Yeah, man, that's so great. And I think too, like realizing now, like having been in a band now for like six years, like a lot of times you make some of your best work when you just like absolutely despise each other. (laughs) It's like, it's such, there's something about drama that bleeds that like when paired with music, it just makes a really amazing shit happen. I don't know what it is. Like I I played a band called Hippocampus usually and every time we make a record, like we want to kill each other, Mm -hmm. but it's like, part of what makes that band like so great like if that element wasn't there it would, it would be missing something you know yeah know. yeah and but like you know band relationships are very uh, it's a very particular kind of relationship it's like sort of familial and it's also like you know you're working with colleagues and um, like combining the professional and personal aspects of your relationships and then just kind of being stuck in a you know, usually a confined space if you're in the studio and um, the intensity of trying to make something that is memorable and is going to be, you know, hopefully successful and all of those things. Um, and I can only imagine like being the world's biggest band and, uh, <laughs> you know, having taken like the longest break that they'd ever taken and done their uh, meditation retreat in India or whatever and coming back in this in the studio thinking it was going to be this you know chill experience and then it's like everybody at each other's throats going crazy <laughs> yeah totally it's insane I think it's a lot like like you know when a band first starts it's sort of like a new couple and and you know you're dating and everything's great and then you get married and then you like start having kids and then that just like brings so much stress into a relationship, you know? And then it's like the more albums you have, it's like the more kids you have and the more like pressure and things. So at that point, you know, what the Beatles have like 40 kids, 60 kids, a hundred kids. It's too much, man. It's just gonna, it's just gonna cause a bunch of stress. Yeah. And even just for this album, it's, is it, I think it's 30 songs. That's it. Just fucking insane. And like, even for a double album, you know, I, I think um, 
you know, thinking of other double albums, I can't think of an example, of course, right now, but <laughs> I don't think, you know, maybe like 10 or 12 songs um, on an, on a double L, uh, each, each uh, disc of a double album. Um, but this was like, you know, uh, and part of it, I guess, is like the uh, hubris of success, being able to say, fuck you, we're putting all this shit on there and nobody's going to tell <laughs> yeah, us not but, to. Um but uh, that's a pretty unique position to be in too, that it's like, you know, uh, having such complete control over everything that goes on that, you know, nobody can make any, uh, convince them that they're making the wrong decision in any way. And I think that's, you know, it's held up pretty well. Like the album is still considered to be one of the greatest albums of all time. Yeah, that's the dream. And I think like as a creative too, just making a record like this is kind of the dream. It's like, just put your, your stuff out completely uncensored completely like you know with like all of your ideas and having a fan base and like people working behind you that trust you enough to just be like yeah i love this you know yeah i I think that's kind of the dream for any artist yeah definitely and being in a position where you can say we're just going to put this out this is everything i mean it wasn't everything there was so so many other songs and (laughs) stuff that they put into it but this is you know like a whittled down you know not trying to make like a tight uh 10 track one album like saying we want something that's bigger and um it was obviously the you know biggest album of their career in terms of you know the number of tracks um but in hindsight i know a lot of them said you know "Uh, i guess like this track could have been left off or um i think george harrison has said that they definitely could have whittled it down to one album and it would have been this like you know tight um you know, hit after hit after hit, but um, it would have been something completely different. And like you said, I think there is, like, I have an appreciation for the weirder stuff. And it's such a, like, mishmash of, like, all of these different sounds coming in. And there's still some of the kind of, you know, hints of the the psychedelic stuff from from Sgt. Pepper and, like, um, lots of, like, really rocky songs but then also these like sweet like acoustic songs um so in in some ways it feels like a playlist instead of a an album from a single band yeah that's that's a great way of describing it that is a great way of describing it and then you have piggies which is just like the craziest song ever that song is insane right right (laughs) and that's uh that's george harrison isn't it didn't he write I that one? I think it's, I'm not sure. I thought maybe it was John, but it definitely could be. Um, I mean, I, I, I know this was also like, uh, this album gave good old Georgia a chance to shine. He wrote a few absolute classics and he was pushing himself to be more of a songwriter. And again, like taking time out, doing the meditation retreat, meditation retreat and teaching himself how to play the sitar and, whatever <laughs> for two years <laughs> yeah. for two years yeah you like stop playing guitar and it's like i'm gonna just play sitar now it's like no dude you're in the beatles like, play, like, <laughs> yeah. like play, it's amazing you're amazing yeah and but still it's like you know they make these totally bonkers decisions and they all work <laughs> yeah just Ugh. complete confidence like yep we're gonna put sitar in rock music it's like okay cool yeah <laughs> so yeah he's he's also my favorite beetle so um you know well good nice. good job george <laughs> good good job <laughs> yeah. he's definitely like he he is kind of like this the sleeper hit out of the beatles i feel like that's like the coolest beetle 
mm-hmm. to have as, as your favorite Beatle. Like really cool people are always like, George is my favorite Beatle, you know? Yeah. And like, you know, Ringo, I don't know if he's anyone's favorite Beatle, but um, there's definitely some out there. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Uh, uh, actually, I think I have, I have talked to one other person who said that he was their favorite, but I don't really get that. And then it's like, you know, John and Paul, who are obviously the super showy superstars. And then George is just like quietly cool in the background. That's what I like about him. Um, yeah, he is so cool. There's this video of him. Have you ever seen that, uh, that, that I think it's called the rock and roll circus that like the, the stones, like that festival, the stones put on in like the sixties or they have like the who and um, they have that band with like George Harrison and, uh eric clapton and who else is in it but i don't know they just all look so cool i used mm-hmm. to i don't like eric clapton as a human being at all and i never really understood why anybody liked eric clapton but mm-hmm. then i saw that video of him and he's wearing this like big ass orange cardigan he has this crazy 70s hair and i'm like okay i could sort of see why people liked eric, eric clapton at this time yeah and now he's like a <clears throat> crazy like uh covid truther um, yeah, he is a COVID yeah. truther. You think he believes in QAnon? Yeah, it fits. It fits the profile. I mean, have have you seen the you know that quote from him in the seventies that is being thrown around again? Uh, oh yeah, it's just like the super super racist, <laughs> just like crazy. It's awful. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, he's not a great guy. Him and Van Morrison as well, uh, both doing like a COVID truther duet. It's like it's like a it's something from. <laughs> It's like something from SNL. It's really like, you know, beyond parody. Oh man, I I loved Van Morrison's music too. What's that album? Is that, is that Astral Projections or, or whatever? The Van Morrison album? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I, I really like his music. He's just supposed to be a really mean person as well. Not. Yeah. I hear. Really. Yeah. I hear he's just a really really bad dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But. Uh, Anyway, uh, enough of the digression here. Um, so yeah, getting back to the Beatles. So like the, you, uh, you like the weirder ones, um, on the white album, the, the most. Yeah. Yeah. I love like, again, like Rocky Raccoon is like one of my favorite Beatles songs. I just love like the, the character voice. It's like, it's just Paul McCartney, like singing in like a Southern accent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so weird. It's yeah. so crazy. I think, like, on this record, like, Paul does a lot of really cool things with his voice where he kind of, like, circles between just, like, this really, like, shrieky scream thing and then he does, like, the character sort of thing and he does the really sweet thing. That was kind of a really big vocal influence on me early. It's just to hear kind of the versatility that Paul had in his voice, like, from song to song. You know, you could be mm-hmm. listening to any one of the songs and be like, I can't tell which Beatle this is. Like, I can't tell if this is Paul. Um and I've just, I've always been into that, you know, artists sort of like changing and altering their voice and like having character voices. I just think it makes it so interesting. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the irony of this album is that it was a time when all four of them were really trying to like establish their own voice and have a distinct sound. And that was part of the kind of push and pull of making the album. But at the same time, I think it's probably the album where it's the uh, hardest to really figure out who has done what and a lot yeah. of previous albums it's like oh obviously this is a john song obviously this is a paul song like you know it's it's plain as day and with this it's like um partially because there's such a huge mix, mix of styles and there's so much like weird shit going on that um it's a it's a lot murkier 
Yeah, I'm sure like them all hanging out like all the time. I mean, they like wrote this on a retreat, if I remember correctly. And like, they would just like show each other songs, you know, like during the day and then kind of like write, you know, during the night and then like pull up on each other with new songs. I imagine there was like a level of just being inspired by the people around you. Like I kind of feel that way being in a band, like when a friend like pulls up, I'm like the most inspired by like the people in my band, you know? And I wonder if it was kind of a similar thing for them at some point where they like saw how each other were pushing and they were kind of motivated to like push further and sort of like steal from each other and then reinvent, you know? Yeah. Well, until they get into the studio and then it all turns really bitchy and, you know, (laughs) Yoko and the other girlfriends turn up and everybody's just mad at each other and, oh, well. (laughs) What do do you think of Yoko? What's your, what's your Yoko vibe? Uh, I think a lot of the uh, uh, vitriol that's directed towards her is just like a bunch of misogynistic bullshit and- It totally is. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. I I don't think I- a girlfriend or, or a wife or whatever it could be responsible for something like that. You know, I think the cracks in their relationships had always kind of like been there. I don't yeah. know. I mean, maybe, maybe it aggravated it, but yeah, I do think it is just deep rooted misogyny that yeah. has spun that narrative. Yeah. And she's done some cool shit. I'm not like a huge fan of her music, but her like performance art and um, kind of more gallery based stuff. Um, I'm into some of that yeah yeah i think it's cool it's yeah it's definitely it's definitely far out it is definitely far out (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) uh and you know who knows like some of that influence kind of uh bled into the later beatles stuff at least on john's stuff too so um she uh she definitely earned her place in uh, the beatles history in a, a positive way i think yeah. You know who I've been listening to a lot lately that, that, that was kind of an influence on John in like those later years is Harry Nilsson. Have you ever, have you ever gone through Harry Nilsson phase? Yeah. Yeah. At all? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've just been getting really into that kind of music. I thought it was really like, I don't know I just heard the other day that he was an influence on John Lennon and I could, I could like kind of see it, you know, on like the later, the later Lennon stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It is, especially for an album like this, there's just so much stuff that they're pulling from. And I think, one of the things that made the Beatles such great musicians is not just like the innate musicianship and the talent and um, all of that stuff. Like obviously there's all these other components, but also just being really voracious consumers of music themselves and having really broad tastes and really uh, wanting to like absorb as much other music into their music and let other people influence them or like, you know, to seek out other influences. Um, And on an album like this where there's like, again, as I have said 90 times in a row, so much diversity that it's like, um, you know, picking all these different uh, bits of the music that they like and trying to infuse their own music with it. Totally. It kind of like destroys genre in a really cool way. I feel like a a lot of bands at that time were kind of like would pick one style of music and one genre of music and stick with it. And I I think the Beatles like really were on the cutting edge of just like messing with genre, which like you look at music now and it's sort of like genre doesn't really exist. You know, like there's people who are making records that just steal from so much and there's like so many different influences and styles now. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Beatles were, were really one of the first bands to play with genre like that. Yeah. This album, yeah, is a great example of an album that kind of like moves around genre-wise. Probably less so than like maybe like Sgt. Pepper or some of the um, 
other Beatles records, but still like they're just masters of like messing with genre. Yeah. And like Sergeant Pepper, I think is like, uh, even in an individual song, it'll kind of shift, uh, not necessarily shift genre, but tempo and, um, you know, some of the songs. Orchestration. Yeah. Yeah. And it'll feel like three songs in the, in the same place. And with the, the white album, it feels like each song is its own distinct thing. And you can kind of pick out like, you know, the quieter Paul tracks could be like a little EP and um, you know, the like louder kind of rockier tracks can be an EP, but it's all mixed together. So yeah, again, like a playlist, it's like um, a little bit of everything. And each of those songs, you know, representing a different, if not a, a, a genre, a different style of music, different pacing um, and kind of shifting the, the tempo up and down as it goes along, um, which is really cool as well. Just kind of like, instead of having something that stays at the same uh, level the whole time is kind of consistent the whole way through that there's like, you know, peaks and troughs. Yeah, it is sort of like, I mean, it is like musical theater in a way. I mean, like hearing, you know, like that Lennon and McCartney like really wanted to be like Rodgers and Hammerstein is like the coolest thing to me. <laughs> like mm-hmm. you can see that in their music. Like it feels like a production, like yeah. in the way, like it's like each record is totally like, a, a, a musical theater show you know like there's moments you know there's like reflective moments and there's loud moments and like there's orchestration i don't know it's it's really cool to think about it like that yeah totally and that is a that's a really uh apt comparison because in musical theater it is all about like highs and lows and kind of taking you taking you through an emotional journey um <laughs> and uh you know having um like uh the some of the kind of slower paul songs at the end of the the first album which feels kind of like a an intermission time to me um uh so yeah that that's a interesting <laughs> totally. thing yeah <laughs> go to the bathroom maybe right. yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 walk back in on revolution nine get really confused <laughs> <laughs> yeah totally yeah, yeah. and then the show ends yeah um didn't they what is the uh song there's a song from a musical that they did a cover of uh till there was you is like in the music man oh really and uh yeah so it it kind of fits the bill it's like you you can see how their songs could easily be put into a musical i i mean i'm sure that's coming i'm sure there's some kind of beatles (laughs) jukebox musical (laughs) You Somebody know. has totally taken spent their quarantine writing a Beatles <laughs> yeah. jukebox musical. Yeah, is it totally. good? We'll we'll have to wait and see. You know, am I going to buy tickets for it? I'm not sure at this point, but you know, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, considering that nobody can actually go into a theater right now, I think they have plenty of time for development. Um, yeah, it will be uh, uh, an absolute masterpiece by the time it happens. A whole lot of inc- incubation time there. You know, we're going to get into it. <laughs> right. Yeah. I you wonder. Know, you know what? You know what's crazy is that just Helter Skelter is such a crazy song. I'm just like looking at the track list and just like thinking about all of this. But like they, the the other Beatles were like, oh, a song that like is Paul McCartney's brain. They're like, that one's Helter Skelter, which mm-hmm. always blew my mind. Like you yeah. think about Paul McCartney and it's like Helter Skelter is a song that is like, you know, rep. that's like his anthem, you know, but 
I don't know. I just blows my mind. I guess he was kind of the one too, doing a lot of the weird like reverse tape stuff. I think like a lot of people kind of thought it was John. I mean, I'm sure John was into it, but Paul was kind of like doing a lot of the stuff that was pushing like production really hard, which yeah. always again blew my mind because like you think of Paul McCartney and you're like, oh, like he writes like some of the cheesiest Beatles songs. I mean, aside from Ringo, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But, but then you listen to later Paul McCartney stuff, and it's like so. Some of it's so weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Temporary secretary. You ever heard that one? Mm, I think so. That song is so weird. You should listen. Yeah. To that. That's such a weird <laughs> song. Yeah, he's he's like the master of swinging from like the sweetest, like on on the border of cheesy love songs, and then going to the complete polar opposite direction like i don't think uh like john lennon definitely had variation in the kinds of music that he made but the swings weren't that extreme where uh you know it was like total adult contemporary and then this like crazy rocky weird like insane production yeah yeah it's just kind of like masterful the way he could like roll into all of it i guess that just comes from like I mean, compared to like John, that like Paul had all that like musical training at like a young age. So he was just like kind of like prolific, like musically. Whereas like John is just like kind of like a true artist, like through and through. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, as you mentioned, all of that reverse tape stuff, which went on to uh, inspire, shall we say, Charles Manson, which is. Um... <laughs> You know, yes, I, I don't know if that's it's like, hilarious because as I was like getting into this album, I, I think when I was like 17, I had a psychology class and we we had to read Helter Skelter for it and like kind of watching those things like coincide was it was a very interesting, interesting period. And there's also always a couple kids in high school who are like Charles Manson had some good ideas, man. <laughs> <No. Yeah>. <laughs> cool. <laughs> um, cool. Yeah. I uh I do wonder you know there's enough Beatles stuff uh with people starting rumors about them you know like the Abbey Road album cover Paul being barefoot meaning that he's dead and all that kind of shit and it's like if if these albums had come out in the age of the internet when uh misinformation can spread so much more quickly I I think it would have been even worse Wow I've never even thought about that that's crazy though that's so true yeah, that is, that is such a true thing. If those records came out now, people would definitely be like analyzing them. There would definitely be like a Reddit just dedicated to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and having more like audio tools at your disposal, so you're not just you know winding a uh, vinyl record backwards to try and hear the secret message. It's like you can put it into your you know listen to it on your computer and like really chop the audio apart and you know clean it up and isolate the vocals and all this shit. Um, exactly. So. They did say Satan, Satan, Satan. I knew <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and actually, what's to stop everybody? I think, yeah, I'm just going to go ahead and encourage everyone to uh, dig in and find the hidden messages and all the Beatles. If there's, if there's one thing to take away from this today, it is go home, put that music in your DAW, and, and let's figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Let's get to the bottom of it. Is Paul dead? Yes. Who is Billy Shoes? Yes. Answers <laughs> on a postcard, please. Um, yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Um. I feel great about this. This was so much fun. Um, yeah, this is awesome, man. Thanks so much for talking yeah. to me about. Yeah, thank you. And um, uh, yeah, I think uh, I have I have everything I need. Um, so I won't take any more of your time. But um, yeah, thanks again, and uh, take care. Awesome, man. Appreciate it. Take care. All right, you too. Yep. Bye. Bye. 
Yay! What a lovely guy. Thanks again to Jake for making time for me. His debut solo album, Lupin, that's L-U-P-I-N, is out now. You can and should stream or download it wherever you get your music. It's a really great record. Give it a little listen. Okay. Quick inspirational art recommendation. Two legendary producers and two of my faves, Madlib and Fortet, have worked on an album together. Or rather, it's a Madlib instrumental album that was arranged and edited by Fortet. The first single, Road of the Lonely Ones, is out now, and it's a real treat. It's very chilled out, very soothing, and it bodes well for the rest of the album. So give that a little listen, too. And that's it, basically, except for one more thing before I go. Uh, You may assume that this is the last episode of the year, but you're wrong. You are wrong. Uh, I've got a special little bonus episode coming out on Friday, and that will be the last one of the year. I'm spoiling you. So there you have it. Keep yourself safe until Friday, and I'll have one more amazing chat for you. Until then, bye. Hey, everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. Hey, everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks.